So uh, I heard on Thursday a, a story. I was just with uh, another pastor friend, and he was telling a story of a chiropractor in his community uh, that had an experience of a man that came in, uh, whether it was last week or the week before, I'm not sure, uh, who came in and was walking with discomfort. Uh, and so uh, there was pain, uh, pain in his, in his legs, in his behind, and uh, uh, the chiropractor said, all right, well, let me, let me give you an assessment. Uh, I just want you to sit down, please. So can you just take off your belt, uh, anything in your pocket, whatever, just so I can see you sit? And uh, as this patient uh, was busy getting ready, uh, took off his belt and then took out his wallet from his back pocket, uh, it struck the chiropractor that his wallet was about that fat, uh, and he put it down, and, uh, and it was just like a little red flag in the chiropractor's head, and uh, the guy then sat down and could see that he was sitting all awkwardly, uh, sitting a bit skew. And so the chiropractor said, um, sorry, do you always carry your wallet around with you in your back pocket? And the guy said, uh, yes, I have since I was a boy. And the chiropractor asked, is your wallet always that fat? And he goes, oh, at, at the least. Uh, most times it's even fatter than that with all my credit card slips and everything that I keep a record of. And then the chiropractor asked him this question, do you always sit with your wallet in your back pocket? He goes, yes. And the chiropractor said, I, I, I don't actually need to go through a whole assessment with you. I, I know exactly what's wrong. You're, you're, you're sitting crooked. You're not sitting right, and that's why you're walking with discomfort. As he told me that story, uh, it just triggered, uh, it, it just triggered uh, this book, this letter to the Ephesian church. Uh, and Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, and theologians universally agree uh, on this, that the letter to the Ephesian church is actually broken up into three components. Uh, and chapter 1 sets up chapter 2, uh, chapter 3 sets up chapter 4, and chapter 5 sets up chapter 6. Uh, there's six chapters in the book of Ephesians. And uh, in each of those, chapter 2, chapter 4, and chapter 6, there is one line that Paul, the, the, the Apostle Paul, who's writing the letter, writes that sums up the point of what he's trying to aim at. And so chapter 1 that sets up chapter 2 is summed up by chapter 2, verse 6. Uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4 is summed up by chapter 4, verse 1. And chapter 5 and chapter 6 is summed up by chapter 6, verse 13. And uh, chapter 2, verse 6 says this, uh, You are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. And chapter 6, verse 13 says, Once you've done everything, stand. And so the theologians all agree that what Paul is trying to get across to the Ephesian church is we're seated with Christ, we walk worthy of the gospel, of the calling we've received, and once we've done everything, stand. But there is an order to this. We sit first, then we walk, then once we've done everything, we stand. And so to link it back to the chiropractic story, he was saying to this guy, listen, you're walking with discomfort, you're walking out of alignment because you're not seated correctly. You're sitting on something. In this case, you're sitting on your wallet. What Paul's trying to say is, we'll never walk in a way worthy of the calling of God, in a manner worthy of the calling of God, which means we'll never, once we've done everything, just be able to stand. We'll never get to that point unless we first acknowledge that we are, or unless we first understand that there is a proper posture to our sitting, which is in the heavenly places with Christ.
And so I want to encourage us and remind us and help us today, church, that what has happened, particularly in Western philosophy, is everything is about us being human doings. Like, even in the church, you get saved. Okay, let me, let me put you on this journey. You, you start walking. Come in, and how can we set you to work? But actually, what Paul is writing is, well, we miss the important part of understanding that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. There's an encounter where there's two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they're having this moment around Jesus, and Martha seems to be a perfectly uh, symbolizing Western thought and Western philosophy, which, which we kind of tend to live in here, and I know we, we, we kind of, we've got Western philosophy and thought, and we've got African culture, and uh, I know that we're a, we're a blend here, but really our economy works on, on Western philosophy, which is what Martha was doing, which was busy doing stuff. And then Mary uh, was doing what was counter-Western counter civilization, which was just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha says to Jesus, tell my sister to get up and start helping me. And I think Martha would have genuinely expected Jesus to go, hey Mary, it's time to get up and start doing some work. But Jesus does the opposite and says, actually Martha, there's many things. But Mary's chosen the right thing, to be seated with Jesus. And so as you sit here this morning, as we're about to enter into a word, yes, around money and how we handle it and all of that kind of stuff, actually the bigger thing is this, is are you sitting skew? Are you sitting crooked? What is in your back pocket which is causing you to sit crooked, which means that when you stand up, your hip joints and everything's out of alignment, so you're walking with discomfort. Many of us, when it comes to the area of finances and money, we're walking with discomfort. And I want to tell you that the start of your solution to starting to walk with ease is when we start to sit properly with Jesus. And so many of us are trying to follow steps one, two, three. If we do this with our financial management, then we will walk without discomfort. I want to tell you that that's not going to solve anything. It is be seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Because from the position of being seated with Christ, we take on a whole new perspective about how to approach and engage this world. And so if you are walking here in any shape or form with discomfort... then please understand, please understand that it is with incredible pain but with great joy that Jesus has invited us into a story to be seated with him. As we talk about money, as we continue talking about money, uh, maybe you're here for the first time in a couple of weeks and so you haven't quite caught our hearts on what we're trying to do here and uh, we mention money uh, and uh, you kind of go, oh, here we go with the church again. They're asking for money. Uh, we're not. Maybe you feel like, uh, maybe you have been blessed. There we go, Con. I won't try to point you out here. And uh, talking about money and leaving the building. <laughs> for those that don't know, this is Conrad, and uh, he leads our addiction recovery, and so he is seated with Christ in heavenly places. And so uh, I'm just making a light joke because we're talking about a heavy subject. So thank you for giving me a little interlude. 
Bless you. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to embarrass you. But as we talk about money, maybe you are sitting here and you've been blessed financially. And you kind of think, oh, shucks, this is the church going after my wealth again. It's not the heart. Maybe you're sitting here and, and you walk with a limp with money. And there's a bit of shame attached to how you've handled finances in the past or your current financial position. Again, the heart is not to expose you in any way. But we do know that Jesus spoke more about money than anything else. The, the theologians will tell us that 25% of Jesus' ministry had to do with money. Because he understood that money is such an emotional subject for us. Because we give so much of our time, our, our adult life, we give so much to earning money that it is very hard to separate our heart from the string and the, and the pull of finances. And so Jesus was trying to say, hey guys, can we be seated with Christ? You, you're seated with me. You're a, you're a son or a daughter in, the, in, the father's, in our Father's house. If we can understand that, then money takes its rightful place in the purpose of what wealth is, which we covered last week. And so if you weren't here last week, you can go and listen to that online. But uh, I think so many of us carry this money stress. We walk with a limp just simply because we don't understand. We, we switch off in messages like this or we don't understand that as sons and daughters of our Father in heaven, that we have access to things that, uh, that people that don't know Jesus don't have access to. And so although they're invited into that story, they choose not to be a part of it. Let us not be those that have accepted Jesus Christ, but don't walk into the fullness of what the invitation is. Because then we're no better than the unbeliever walking with a limp through life. That's not the story that is on offer for us. Genesis chapter 30, verses 25 to 32 it's a story of a man called Jacob, uh, the, the patriarchs of our faith uh, are called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, and so uh, we're going to one of the patriarchs of our faith, and here's a, a, an encounter, or here's a story that he has in a particular point in time in his life, and this is where we pick up the story. Soon after Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, so let me just introduce the characters here. So Rachel has become Jacob's wife. Uh, Laban is Rachel's dad, so is the father-in-law to Jacob. And Laban's been a little bit devious uh, to Jacob in his previous years. Uh, uh, Jacob had asked Laban, I, I, I love Rachel, uh, can I marry her? And, and Laban has said, yes, you can marry her. Uh, and uh, what, what is to be the, the cost of that? What is to be... Uh, the dowry or uh, whatever language we want to use. And he said, seven years of work. And he said, absolutely. And then he works off the seven years uh, and suddenly Leah, the other daughter, the older daughter gets given to Jacob. And so there's a bit of deception going on uh, by Laban. Uh, and then another seven years of work and Rachel becomes his wife. And this is where we pick up the story. Uh, and so soon after Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, please release me. So I can go home to my own country. Let me take my wives and children, for I have earned them by serving you. And let me be on my way. You certainly know how hard I have worked for you. 
please listen to me, Laban replied. I have become wealthy, for the Lord has blessed me because of you. Tell me how much I owe you. Whatever it is, I'll pay it. Jacob replied, you know how hard I've worked for you and how your flocks and herds have grown under my care. You had little indeed before I came, but your wealth has increased enormously. The Lord has blessed you through everything that I've done. But now what about me? When can I start providing for my own family? What wages do you want? Laban asked again. And Jacob replied, don't give me anything. Just do this one thing. And I'll continue to tend and watch over your flocks. Let me inspect your flocks today and remove all the sheep and goats that are speckled or spotted, along with all the black sheep. Give these to me as my wages. Very interesting story here. We, uh, we, we, we kind of have this context where Jacob started being indebted to Laban. Laban had something that Jacob wanted, his daughter. And so Jacob asks for the daughter and has to work for seven years. Laban does his cheeky little thing and seven years becomes 14 years and the wages get changed on multiple occasions. And anyway, eventually after 14 years, uh, uh, Rachel is his and, um, and he has his wife. He, he's now unfortunately got two wives, uh, which wasn't his desire, but it was the, the trickery of Laban that, uh, that caused that. And so a father was actually not great for his daughters. Uh, but this, this moment happens, uh, and so, so, so Jacob starts by being indebted to Laban and gets to a point in his story where Laban is saying, name your price. Name your price. And he says, well, the black sheep and speckled sheep. And so he goes from being indebted to being a shareholder in the family business. And so we see this and we, we kind of go, okay, God, like what, are, what are some of the lessons that we can learn here? You, was that just your blessing upon Jacob or was there something that we can learn out of the story? Is there, something, is there a greater principle at work through the story? Did Jacob just hold on to something? Was he seated right with Christ? We do understand that uh, time-wise Jesus hadn't yet come, but there was something of an understanding of who God is uh, and was in these days. Uh, and so by understanding where he was seated, did he be, was he able to take hold of something and had access to, to something that was for him alone or that was for all of us? And so we're going to look at that question today. Um, and as I said last week, uh, the, the goal of what we're trying to do over the next couple of weeks is to look at some principles that we see in Scripture. That if we can govern our resource, if we can govern our wealth by some principles then it should go well with us. As we studied the book of Proverbs a little bit earlier, when we, when we live our lives by the, the principles of Proverbs, it is most likely to go well with us. Can there be extraordinary external factors that come in? Yes, there can be. We get that. But more often than not, when we live by the principles of God, we come out on top as God desired us to live. And so we're going to be looking at the principle of increase today. The principle of increase. And so last week we looked at the purpose of wealth. This week we look at the principle of increase. That's where we're going to go. And so there's no doubt that in this particular, in this particular isolated story, Jacob increased. He went from paying off debt to becoming a shareholder, to use our modern day language. 
He went from his wages being at the, at the whim of Laban for what his wages were going to be to Laban saying, please stay, I'll pay you whatever you want. When last did you uh, have your employer come to you and say, I'll pay you whatever you want? Anyone had that? Bless you, maybe you should be standing up front here. But I do believe that uh, this was not only for Laban, uh, for Jacob. I do believe that this is for us also. I believe that in the foundation of uh, who we are and what God created us to be is this principle of increase. I believe it's part of God's creative order and creation order. And so uh, we're going to go on that journey a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 says this, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. It is He that gave you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant. And again, His covenant to the people of Israel, uh, which I'm so grateful has uh, now we've been able to be grafted into that chosen to the chosen people, we've been grafted in as the believers in Jesus into that story, uh, that the blessing, uh, that the, 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 the promise was that we would be sons and daughters, we would be heirs, and that we would be a blessing to all nations. And so his desire is that we would generate wealth so that we may be a blessing to all the nations. But again, sometimes when we want to sit on our wallets, we sit a little bit skew which means we walk with discomfort. All of us want to be offered, all of us want our employer to come to us so that uh, to say, please, uh, do any, we we beg you to stay, name your price. We all want that, but we all want to stay sitting on our wallets. There are some principles that we go. And so the the first is this, that we have to understand the principle of increase, that actually it is something of the creation order. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 to 29, we read this, and many of you will be able to quote quote this verbatim. And God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and He said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion or rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, so to you, uh, to you it shall be for food. And so we see in the creation account, God is saying, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion, and I'm giving you the seed. So many of us want the multiplication Many of us want to rule over, but we forget the first part, which is be fruitful, and we forget the last part, which is God gives the seed. And so we want to live by kind of point number two and three, forgetting that there's a point one and a point four, and this is why so many of us walk with a limp. We can't pick and choose which principles of God we we kind of fit into our world and which principles we don't particularly like at any particular point in time. The principles of God stand from the creation account through all of history of humanity to this day and will tomorrow and will the next day and will the next day until Jesus comes again. And so we have a decision to make today. 
which is why I started with the book of Ephesians, because our, our starting point, we have a decision to, to make as to whether we are going to accept to be seated with Christ. And until we make that decision, we will walk with a limp. It's just the way things are. And so the first thing uh, about uh, being fruitful is that we have to produce something. We have to produce something. See, too many people today, unfortunately, want to do this. We, we're over here, we're over here, we're over here, we're over here, we're in this job, we're in this job, we're in this job, we're in this job. It's, it's my language. It's part of the curse of the generation that's growing up now. I'm not saying the generation is a curse. I'm saying it's something that has been passed on to them. This thing of instant, instant, instant. And so we never produce something because we're never around long enough to produce something. And so we want the multiplication, but we're not yet fruitful. We have to be fruitful. We've got to produce something. Then multiplication, which is whatever you're producing, doing it, do it at a more efficient rate. Do it at a more efficient rate, which means that we can produce more of it. And then to take dominion, which means as we have mastered being fruitful, as we have added to the, the rate that we can do that, so we're now able to add some other things into our story, add some other skill sets into our story. And we're able to start ruling over our own worlds. And once we're ruling over our own worlds, and once we're able to do that well as a family, and once we're able to do that well as Anthem community, suddenly we're starting to have influence in community, in Durban North, in Durban. The reality is, we want to, as a church, have impact into our city. We want, to, we want to take territory. We want Jesus to be glorified. But we're not doing with the first thing of just being fruitful amongst us in our own worlds. So how can we be fruitful as a community into the city of Durban? How can we multiply that when we haven't yet mastered this? Whatever this may be. And so there's this principle that God puts into the, uh, the very foundation of who we are. Produce something. Be fruitful. Be a good employee. Become the best at it. Learn to multiply. What is, part of multiplication is teach others to become great at producing something. The problem with our world is because we think, because we live with a, a, a scarcity mentality, that, that is Western civilization is scarcity mentality. African mentality is scarcity. We live with this poverty mindset. And because of scarcity, because of poverty, we think that if I, if I, uh, if I release some of my skill set to someone else, if I train someone else, we have a finite pool, which means I'm going to be hard done by. And so we hold on to things, but the very principle of Scripture, the very principle of God is, no, teach somebody. Become great at something and then help someone else become great at it, because then you can be even more productive and more fruitful. And so the very principle of wanting to be, what wage do you want, is, are you even competent enough to teach someone else what you do? Have you mastered it to the point of being able to teach someone else? 
And so we have to answer these questions for ourselves, which can sometimes be quite brutal. Am I any good at what I do? I'm not trying to create insecurities in you at all. All I'm trying to do is, if we can understand the principle, then we can become like Jacob, who became a master shepherd. He paid attention. He understood that the speckled flocks and the streaked flocks were actually, because they were more hardy, were producing at a higher rate. And so, although they seemed to be defective in the eyes of Laban, they were actually the highly productive ones. And so suddenly this principle of increase, uh, Jacob was able to take and create wealth for himself because he became an attentive shepherd. He became highly skilled at what was in front of him. Number two, we have to limit the distractions to our earning potential. This is just a very practical lesson. I'm watching teenagers today and... um, and the TikTok videos and the YouTube videos of how to become a millionaire in two quick steps. Create a YouTube account and put this on and you'll become a millionaire. See, the, the book of Proverbs teaches us that anyone who makes money quickly loses it. And anyone who gathers little bit by little bit generates wealth. That's the principle. Can you be the outlier? Absolutely. But if everyone's holding out to be the outlier... There's a lot of people that aren't going to be making it and we're going to be walking with a limp because we're not seated right in the heavenly places with Jesus. Laban said to Jacob, I have never been more blessed than when you started to work for me and care for my sheep. I want to encourage us, friends, that the principle of increase begins with serving another man's dream. God blesses that. God blesses that. The latest Gallup Institute research, Gallup is one of the world's leading uh, research houses, came out with the the, the, the 2022 figures. It came out in January 2023. That there is an 85% disengagement ratio in the marketplace globally. 15% of employees are engaged in what they do. 85% are disengaged. They are distracted. They're not interested. They're not not productive. They're not being fruitful. They want multiplication. They want dominion. They want to be thrown, what wage do you need, but not fruitful. The Gallup Institute just, this is I think just some practical, helpful stuff. Um, uh, uh, Sorry, the the businesses and the work units that scored the highest on employee engagement showed 21% higher levels of profitability. Companies with good culture increased revenue on average four times those of companies that did not have good culture. It matters whether you are engaged or not. Just in the American market... On an annual basis, $1.1 billion is spent on just trying to retain staff. And they lose, they say, $400 to $500 billion annually in the U.S. because of disengagement, disengaged employees. You see, with us who know Jesus, with us who understand the principle of increase, we can transform the businesses that we work with. 
if we would arrive engaged. Just by arriving engaged, statistically, you are likely to be a contributor to your business being profitable, which allows your salary increase, which allows a possible bonus, which allows fruitfulness, which may become multiplication, just by being engaged. And so we've got to limit the distractions in our world. Daniel, in chapter 5, uh, verse 12, it said this, that Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, was, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. Exceptional ability. What is exceptional ability? Extraordinary ability. Well, it's just bringing more than the ordinary. So a question to you. Do you rock up at work with the aim of bringing a little more than the ordinary? It's a principle of increase. We don't understand wealth. We walk with the limp. We, we walk with discomfort because we don't understand that if we just arrive engaged and do a little bit more than the ordinary, we get classified as the extraordinary, and that contributes. God's able to bless that. God's able to bless that. It's interesting that uh, Jewish people believed that their vocation was their way of being a blessing to society. And how much they were paid was an indication of how grateful society was for their service and thus how much of a blessing to others they were. That's just Jewish philosophy. Friends, we need to understand that the curse of sin that entered the world took us from this beautiful garden into the wilderness. Jesus went into the wilderness to reverse the curse so we could enter back into the garden. At the time of the curse, God invited us to participate in all of the fruit except one, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And so in there was the tree of life. And so God participated, God, God invited us to participate in fullness of life. But once we had rebelled, once humanity had sinned, he had to block the way to the tree of life because he did not want us to stay in the state of sinfulness. He did not want us to stay in the state of rebellion forever and ever. And so he had to block the way to the tree of life, which means humanity has been walking around in the wilderness until we come to know Jesus. That's why Jesus changes everything. And there are many who are walking around in the wilderness looking for their way back. They're trying to create their own gardens of Eden. They're sitting on their wallets trying to produce their own wealth. And nothing is lasting. There's holes in their pockets. Money doesn't grow on trees. All the statements that you want to come. God has a way. God has a way. And so what Jesus does is he gets back onto a tree and says, Now, come and eat of me. Now come and eat of me. I am the bread of life. And so the invitation is what we messed up in the garden, what we messed up by choosing the wrong tree, the one fruit that we couldn't take, and therefore banned from eating the tree of life, Jesus reverses from in the wilderness outside of the city of Zion, and he says, come and eat of me on the tree. Come and eat of this fruit, and you can enter back into the garden and have life forevermore. This is the gospel. This is the beauty of the invitation of Jesus. And so when we come and we want to have financial freedom, we have to understand the principle of increase, which starts with, Jesus, I choose you, and I'm going to take of your fruit. I'm going to eat of you. I'm going to eat of the tree that you're on, sacrifice my life, die to myself, be raised in life with you. I'm going to eat from the fruit of your life 
so that I may live forevermore in the fullness of life which you intended by your creation order. This is the invitation, friends. It's not point one, point two, point three. It's Jesus. Will you take Jesus and the life that he gives, that he has given? Will you take Jesus? Be seated with him. Then we're able to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Colossians 3 verse 23 says this, Whatever work you do, do it with all of your heart. Do it for the Lord and not for men. This is under point number two, which is let's minimize, let's, di- let's take away our distractions. Take away our distractions. I'm an employer as well as a pastor, but I'm an employer. And I can tell you now that if we just put our phones down, there'd be more productivity, which would be more fruitful, which would give us more concentrated time to master what we're doing. And as we master what we're doing, we can pass that on to others and that can be multiplied. And as it's multiplied and there's now a team of us, we can start to rule over environments. Just put your phone down and honor the employer who's paying you a salary. It's a principle of God. It's not a principle of mine. It's a principle of God. Minimize the distractions, our emotional health, our spiritual health. We, 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 because we are distracted, we're pulled in many different directions. We're not engaged in our work. We're not engaged in producing. We're not engaged in being fruitful. It's not a difficult principle to understand, but I do understand that it can be a difficult, practi- a difficult principle to put into practice. That was a lot of peace. Be engaged. Number three. I'm close to wrapping up. Keep healthy boundaries. Keep healthy boundaries. Money makes a great servant, but a horrible master. And what ends up happening is because we're not seated, because we don't, we don't fully get that we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places, that we are heirs with Him, that we are children of our Father in heaven, what ends up happening is we live with a poverty and a scarcity mentality. And we may not consciously think that, but it follows through in our actions. And we start to have unhealthy boundaries around our work. And so I've chosen this text because I think it is the pinnacle of our trust in God. Isaiah chapter 58, 13 to 14 says this, Keep the Sabbath day holy. Do not pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight. As the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight and I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised. Friends, if we want to understand the principle of increase, we need to understand the principles that God has put in that He is the bringer of our provision. And what the Sabbath does When we stop, it reminds us that we trust in Him 
to bring what is needed. When we work seven days a week, friends, the principle says, the creation account says that we're sitting on our wallets, which means we're sitting skew, which means we walk with discomfort. Speak of the Sabbath day with delight. Other scriptures talk about this, that while we're sleeping, God makes things grow. Let us not put ourselves in the place of God, friends. Let us not think that it is all in my hands. There is stuff that we bring to the party. Absolutely. But it is God who provides. It is God who sustains. It is God who blesses. It is God who gives us the ability to generate wealth. It is God who has put the principle of increase into his creation order. It is God who has made a way through his son Jesus to take us from the place of wilderness, from the place of walking crooked, from the place of walking with discomfort, and allowed us, if we would eat of the tree, the tree that he's hanging on, if we would eat from the fruit of his life as the bread of life, I'm really mixing bread and fruit and all of that stuff, but you get it. If we're able to eat from him, not from the tree that we wanted to eat from, but from him, then we're able to be restored to the fullness of life that he has for us, walking without a limp. The goal Just some statements. Can you make a commitment not to dishonor God or His Sabbath? Can you not neglect your family and the friends that God has called you to? Can you be available to advance His kingdom? Can you practice rest and a healthy lifestyle? Will you not neglect the call of God on your life? Can we take the wallet out of our back pocket, put it before Jesus, sit straight before the chiropractor so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received so that once we have done everything, we can stand?